Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. All right, Solar Warriors, it is February 2021. We're kicking off another month and I am stoked to have you here. I'm really honored that you take the only non-renewable resource that you have and that's your time and you invest it into improving your mindset and your business to be the best that you can be in the clean energy business. We need you and we are here for you each and every week. Today's entrepreneur is a good friend of mine that many of you perhaps listened to in 2020 when he brought the 10 things that every entrepreneur needs to know when they're trying to raise capital. And that's my friend, Josh Beck. Josh is the chief investment officer at BCI Technology Investments. He's had in many ways a storied career He's one of my favorite insider investor minds when I get to just chat with someone about what is happening in the world of global supply, especially with regards to obviously BCI is a big steel manufacturing uh, concern, and he's had some opportunities to be involved in major organizations in the industry like Next Tracker, which we spoke about in previous episodes. So today's going to be a fun journey for you, and I encourage you to listen along as we talk about trends to watch with regards to strategic partnerships in 2021. And if this is the kind of information that just gets you amped up, I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to subscribe to Suncast. You can do that right now inside of Spotify or iTunes, whatever app you're listening to, just hit subscribe. And hey, while you're there, give us a little rating and review as well. Never hurts, helps others find the podcast. And you can listen to more than 300 and 30 episodes of other founders, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and like-minded clean energy advocates every single week, often twice a week. So subscribe and tune in. But for now, let's tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we get into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Okay, my buddy Josh is back. It's Groundhog Day. We are going to uh, see if Punxsutawney Phil has seen his shadow. We're also going to see if the industry is going to have six or more weeks of uh, of winter or if we're breaking out into what many of us expect to be a banner year. But more on that in a moment. First, let me welcome Josh Beck back to Suncast. Hey, thank you so much, Nico. It's a pleasure to be here. And thanks, everyone, for listening. So, and on, on I guess, in honor of us airing this on Groundhog Day and us being a Pennsylvania-based company, so why don't I give a Groundhog Day joke? So yeah, go for how is our COVID work life a lot like Groundhog Day? I don't know, Josh. How is it like Groundhog Day? If you stick your head outside and see another person's shadow, you get six more weeks of quarantine. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of us are sticking our heads outside these days, I imagine. <laughs> Listeners will have to bear with us. You and I both have young kids, so we've got these young kid type jokes. We've got dad, dad, dad jokes. jokes. We've got yeah. dad jokes for miles and years. Uh, <laughs> so bear, bearing with us. But, uh, you know, it brings up an interesting question. All of us are uh, you know stuck inside the house these days. And uh, I do feel like oftentimes I'm on this perpetual revolving wheel of work and meals and bedtimes. I don't know about you, Josh. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, COVID has also created a situation where many professionals feel untethered from their general routine and professional and social lives. Certainly no one's alone in that. The one bipartisan thing that we can point to this year, right? So the, you know, a, a question that I often get, and I'm, I'm curious to know your answer, Nico, is, you know, is it realistic to believe that balance between personal, family, and professional life is possible in this environment? Yeah, it's a question I get a lot as well, not directly or explicitly, but implicitly in the cries for help from my many coaching clients. And I often return back, Josh, to a piece of literature that I read uh, years ago when I was trying to get my head wrapped around how to be a young father and building a business. And it's from uh, a book called The One Thing, written by the guy who founded Keller Williams. Jim Keller, I think is his, is his name. Josh, have you read it? I have not, no. Oh man, fantastic. Well, the one thing is the the simple premise of the book is uh, the question, what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else is easier or unnecessary? And one of the things that stood out to me in that book, that alone, by the way, is a great question to ponder as you're going into the year and really thinking about how to prioritize your day. There is a a quote in the book from another author, James Patterson, in his book called Since Suzanne's Diary for Nicholas And it goes as such, I'll read it uh, as it's written. Imagine life is a game in which you're juggling five balls. The balls are called work, family, health, friends, and integrity. And you're keeping all of them in the air. But one day you finally come to understand that work is a rubber ball. If you drop it, it's going to bounce back. The other four, family, health, friends, and integrity are made of glass. If you drop one of these, it's going to be irrevocably scuffed, nicked, perhaps even shattered. So if you put it in that context... A lot of times we often treat the entire equation inverse as though the work ball is glass and we can't break it and we can't put it down, but the rest of them are malleable in some way and can bounce if we overstay our time in the office or if we skip that workout that we promised ourselves for the last three days we were going to do. As I've thought about through quarantine, even my own personal health situation, I've tried to keep that in mind, this idea of, of work being the rubber ball. And it doesn't match or mate well with hard driving, ambitious entrepreneurs who are trying to raise money and who are trying to scale their businesses. But I think it does sync with our natural, what I perceive to be our natural stasis, right? That idea of balance, which I think is also a myth. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, Josh, because you interact probably on a daily basis more with hard charging, scaling entrepreneurs than I do. That was really insightful, Nico. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I think that that's something that I have to, you know, for a New Year's resolution, trying to get better at personal time. You know, like we said, you and I both have young kids. The family time and the professional time have taken a dramatic front seat and any, mm-hmm. anything that resembles personal time, you know, you can't, even, you can't even go to a coffee shop, right? Yeah. It's tough to manage that health and that aspect of it, but it's a, it, it's critical and leads into what we're going to talk about strategic mm-hmm. partnerships, because if you can't get to a place where you can separate all of the things that keep you in the weeds during your day and raise above and look at the forest and really kind of look at it from a strategic perspective, then you're doing everyone in your life a disservice, including yourself. And, and that's, that's hard <laughs> That's hard to conceptualize as, as you're in the thick of it, right? It sure is. It sure is. One of the reasons I like to have Josh on the show is because you are one of my go-to experts on how to raise capital. Uh, we talk on a regular basis every, I don't know, three to four weeks about either deals that I'm looking at or clients that are trying to think about raising or selling their company or, or something of, the, of that nature. And I always find that your insights are, are really helpful One of the things that in the world of entrepreneurship, 
And I'm going to caveat this for those who maybe aren't as familiar with how money is raised. You should go back and listen to Josh's you know, 10 tips for founders raising money. Um, I don't remember. That's probably not the exact title, but it's back in the spring of 2020. But Josh talks about the different stages. You know, there's uh, the pre-seed and seed series A all through all the way up through God, I think series G or H or some, some companies have gone before they go public. But one of the things that any hardware specific company is likely to think about, and, and you'll hear this term bandied around, is this idea of a strategic. And so, Josh, I wanted to start the conversation around, in particular for hardware founders who no doubt know this the, as a terminology, for those not in the thick of it every day, what is a strategic and how do they relate to the overall cash cycle of a, of a startup and their growth? Yeah, great question, Nico. I, you know, I think that it's a little bit like trying to identify the shape of a snowflake, right? Because there's so many different organizational types and, and paths to commercialization and market. But I think at a, at a macro level, we should all be thinking of this from a perspective of a strategic partner is someone who should be filling in all of your weak spots, right? Or as many as possible, at least. Certainly, there's no such thing as a perfect partner, but you can find near perfect alignment as long as your kind of core, your core missions align appropriately. And we see a lot of entrepreneurs that we've invested in and we're considering investment in really kind of communicate back to us the challenge that has really emerged over the last 12 months, being that COVID has created longer sales cycles. New relationships with potential strategic partners are harder to solidify remotely. A lot of people kind of going back to the well of their original Rolodex, which I, I always encourage people to do, but it's really hard if you need to kind of branch beyond that. Information also tends to become more pocketed without regular workplace interactions, right? It's one of the things where I think we're going to see kind of more desk sharing uh, as we come out of COVID, we will see a return to office life, um, although there will be more remote work. But I think the benefit of people being able to creatively engage is, is very, very important, not only from saying having those kind of light bulb aha moments that might be able to catapult your product or your company forward, but also just strategic alignment around what other people's interests are. I think that the core, whenever we think of a quality strategic partners, we really need to think about how can I engineer a win-win situation? Or is that even possible? And we see a lot of entrepreneurs, whether they're first-time entrepreneurs, whether you're seed stage or G stage, as you had said, really forget that you got to self-actualize. You got you to really take a hard look at what you're good at and what your organization's good at and where you can really chalk up wins. And in that process, identify where your core blind spots are. And, and that strategic partner should really be able to step in and fill some of those core critical blind spots for your organization. So within the scope of growth and raising money, is a strategic always someone who steps in and gives you money? Are there other forms that strategic partnerships can take conceptually? Yeah, absolutely. And, and certainly everyone thinks about the money just because everyone's bootstrapping it. Everyone's trying to kind of get EBITDA positive as quickly as possible. And, and a lot of times that takes bringing on a sophisticated, you know, sales and marketing manager and building out your team to allow for market expansion and market acquisition. I think that it is somewhat short-sighted to only look at it from a unrestricted cash investment perspective. For example, if you're a A or B round company and you've 
past that technology risk hurdle and you've got a product that's ready to sell and you've solidified your supply chain to a level where you're confident you're going to be able to provide a great minimally viable product in the market that's going to be well received. Okay, well now you don't need money. What you need is a strong strategic partner who can plug you into the right sales channels, who can get you into existing bid packages, right, with your hardware that might have been quoted 12 months ago, right? So then like accelerating the speed into your your sales cycles and your market acquisition can be the most vital thing. And and we actually have seen, particularly in, in a black swan year like we've had here with COVID, that access to tangible sales channels and the ability to push product to market as quickly as possible is actually becoming the most relevant. And that's actually the most challenging, I would say, for, for entrepreneurs across the renewable energy industry that don't have north of 10 million of top line revenue at the, at the moment going into the crisis. Josh, I'd like to get into a few tangible examples, maybe brands that people would recognize. You've been notably involved through BCI Technology Investments in NextTracker and Avalon. I'm not sure if there are examples with those two companies that you could speak to by way of showing what a strategic partnership can look like and how it can add value to an existing organization. You know, selfishly, I'd love it if you could share more about uh, Avalon because lately with Infinity, the merger, they've obviously gotten a lot of press and it looks to be you know, super viable business now on the flow battery side of things. But I I just think it'd be really interesting from your vantage point, having served there as a commercialization specialist, how strategic partnerships helped either of those companies scale. Yeah, great question. So to give a little background on that, BCI led the B round for Avalon Battery Company and and we were kind of uh, fundamental in and partnering with them on the commercialization and reaching a minimally viable product that, that they could push to market and consolidating a sophisticated international supply chain with a kind of full suite of back office services. Certainly that's not to take anything away from the team that's there, Matt Harper and Larry Zalch and, and the rest of the team, some of the best entrepreneurs that I've ever seen, Brian Adams and the team that's actually on the operational side of the equation is doing, I think, some next level work. Avalon decided to go the IPO route on the London Stock Exchange via a reverse merger with a company called Red Tea. In that particular situation, this ended up becoming a very, very functional strategic partnership because it allowed them to access European markets in a much more functional way. Avalon had a better technology package. However, Red Tea was was far more advanced in terms of development of their sales cycles, particularly in the European markets. So what the Avalon and Red Tea merger provided was a symbiotic relationship between one organization who had the the superior technology and the other who had a superior setup around the sales and marketing channels. So that has created a lot of interest. It also provided an opportunity for a new group of liquidity on the consumer side uh, via public listing on the London Stock Exchange. So this has been an incredibly powerful connection with the newly formed organization, which is named Infinity Energy Systems. If you want to look it up, it's, it's traded under the ticker uh, IES on the London Exchange. It's allowed them both to, to not only, you know, they're at 7x their list price, which was just on April 3rd, and are positioned very well to potentially double again over the next 12-month period. All right, so you've got Salesforce for your sales team. How's that working out for you? How great would it be if someone could actually just come in and really make your whole solar sales process deliver results? And what's more, what if you could actually see all the sales data in one dashboard? Pipeline, forecast, aging, deals that are about to close, the whole darn thing. 
Look, I have someone who can help do all that. They're called Indium. And right now, for a limited time, you can get a Salesforce tune-up, a process assessment from them entirely on the house. Just click on the Indium logo over at mysuncast.com and start getting more value from Salesforce finally. You know, it's the time of year where folks start moving around from business to business, job to job, career transition is at its peak. And it's often a time where folks look to someone else to help organize their thoughts and guide their principles. I've spent the last 15 years in renewables. I've spent the last five years coaching founders and startup executives in this space specifically. And for the last year, I've been helping folks transition out of oil and gas and other industries into renewables. And I've found that there are a few things that are commonalities. And I'd like to invite you, if that sounds like something you're interested in, to have a conversation with me about whether or not coaching might be in your future and working with me might be something that would help level up your business or your personal career path. You can fill out an application over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the work with me button in the very top right. And everyone who fills out an application, I'm going to set up a 15 minute clarity call. So I'd invite you to run, fill that out. If this sounds remotely interesting to you and let's have a chat, see if there is in fact a fit. I look forward to chatting soon. Thank you so much for tuning into Suncast. Let me know if I can help you in other ways. So Josh, you know, with those great examples in mind, one of the things that comes to my mind as I think about how to advise folks and as we think, how do we help folks here wrap their head around essentially getting inside of the head of who they want as an invi- and as an advisor or an investor, what do you find are the most salient criteria corporate strategics look for when they're considering a strategic partnership? So the strategic planning team in a lot of these organizations are really looking to go down some new rabbit holes right, that create new profit centers for them, yet are directly aligned with their core business efforts and can fit into existing sales channels. Can you give me an example, one that maybe you've gone down? Yeah, recently this year, we've been spending a lot of time in building out one of our portfolio companies, which is Solar Pile International, which is an Australian-based company with with massive expansion, not only in Australia and Asia, but but expanding this year into North America. Solar piles like the, the H-beams that you drive in the ground? Yeah, next generation eight beams uh, eliminates pre-drilling. Uh, great as as we have these Goldilocks kind of project sites that have the kind of the perfect geotechnical conditions close to interconnection sites. As those are really drying up, people are looking towards areas that are harder to install yet have good interconnection capabilities. Areas we're talking about upper Midwest areas with frost heave zones. We're talking about Southeast and Texas with heavy reactive clay soils, which will push piers out of the ground and potentially kind of risk five or 10 years down the line, Uh lowering the value of a $500 million capital equipment, right? No one wants to install all that again. Mm. So one way that we've been thinking about strategic partnership, particularly in this example, is that we we're on a broad search for a good strategic partner who could really help us with some of our onshoring manufacturing capability. Speed to market, how can we fulfill orders quicker? SBI is very capable and set up for international manufacturing in about eight different countries via the partnership with BCI and to fulfill purchase orders. But lead times are always an issue for installers. We want to have optionality where we can get 
product to market faster than anyone else. We want to be able to localize, right? It kind of goes to this trend of global localization, right? Or, or globalization, as, as we're hearing, right? Where, where different components are orchestrated internationally for staging and prepping for advanced manufacturing here in North America. And, and we're seeing that become incredibly relevant. So as part of the search for Solar Pile International, we were able to identify a company called JM Steel. It's a large 4,000 person company. They are a major steel provider. They've got manufacturing capabilities right at the mouth of uh, U.S. Uh, steel mills. They consolidate the supply chain to allow for the minimization of inland freight costs. So, And it's a sophisticated organization, which helps us to, to do higher level project or- orchestration, not only for North American projects, but international. So then that'd be a great example. Now, from JM Steel's perspective on this, they love it because they're traditionally in the mining industry. This is a new vertical that they can get into, yet it is still core to their business of steel procurement, steel optimization, and processing. Them being so strong on the domestic side and SPI being so strong on the international side really created these win-win situations where it allows JM to launch international via SPI's relationships and manufacturing into new market expansion, whereas it allows us to really consolidate supply chains and be far more competitive on the U.S. side. Josh, that's a really interesting example because it pulls in things that are happening here in the U.S. market with an international player who is looking for sort of international exposure and diversification. I want to ask a couple of questions that come to mind for me as you explained that. The first is, who is the strategic in this equation? The strategic is JM Steel in this situation. So what's the give to get on both sides of the equation here? This can be formatted in a number of ways. But in this particular example, the give to the get is that we would be cutting a North American partner into part of the manufacturing margin stack. Right. So then this is a way for them to use existing facilities, which are well diversified and geographically located to put more throughput. That helps them out because as they're able to make inroads and diversify from a mining centric business into a mining construction solar implementation mindset, it allows them also to buy more steel. I mean, these guys are buying hundreds of millions of dollars of steel a year, right? So the biggest thing is who can buy it better, who can buy it faster and cheaper and secure it in terms of hedging strategies and kind of looking at indexes and, and understanding when to send the purchase order on this day, not that day. So then this allows them the ability to leverage and make their existing mining sector even more profitable by getting into higher volume solar, which allows them to basically optimize their purchase price and their relationships with their strategic partners on the steel purchase side. I see a couple of stories here that I'd like to maybe highlight. The first is, it seems yet again, that SPI, in this case, Solar Power International, is looking at access to market, not just access to capital. We haven't really talked about this but it seems to me like there's an underlying onshoring story that, in my view, for the at least the United States utility market and the United States, even the United States steel market, this could be a big story. Yeah, I think this is a huge story. And we're starting to see this. And there's been a number of, of experts who have written about this. Certainly, the trade war with China uh, has been... Has, has been an education for everyone just trying to kind of figure out. It's been a lot of thumbs and elbows, I think. But, uh, and, and it's going to progress, right? The, uh, a new Biden administration coming in is not going to end the trade war on day one. We may see improvements in that relationship over time. 
But then we're seeing escalations of trade wars between China and Australia on the raw material of the iron ore side, right? So I think that one of the stories that's really been clear in a year this, like this is that organizations who are successfully raising funds and creating lasting, functional, win-win strategic partnerships are able to transcend what they're doing now, which I would refer to as project management, even really good project management, but then taking that up a whole nother level to project orchestration. Even if you are a fairly sophisticated B or C round company, whenever you bring in a larger corporate strategic, particularly if that's a publicly traded company, you got to understand that you're under a whole new level of orchestration needs. Communication needs to substantially increase and an understanding of the strategic priorities of both organizations constantly has to be understood in order to realign as market opportunities and considerations change. Josh, would this model also apply to an organization at any level of development? Yes and no. I think that that model of development is going to require an organization to be at a certain level of growth, right? You need to have a lot of ducks in the row organizationally. You need to have a rock star team. You need to have them incentives. So then that's going to require a certain amount of capital raising before you can really kind of launch into a fully functional strategic partnership where you've got a voice in the room, right? And I think that's something that everyone needs to be mindful of. No one wants to be in a strategic partnership where, you know, once you ink a deal, now suddenly... Everything's to the benefit of the larger organization. And they're telling you what to do. (laughs) Right, exactly. So then that requires you to have enough of a toehold in the industry and enough kind of dry powder to be able to to, uh, be able to contribute. To hold in the industry is enough uh, market share or sales and dry powder is cash in bank. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you, you, for the, <laughs> you know, I think a great example of maybe an earlier stage company that we've invested in and that we're really kind of bullish on is, is actually on the autonomous vehicle space. There's a company, Pittsburgh based company called Edge Case Research, who fantastic leadership team, uh, really industry leading experts on the AI ML side coming out of Carnegie Mellon University. They've got some really strong strategic partnerships with Aurora AI and Ansys and and a, and a, a, a great group of strategic partners out of the gate. But one thing that I was really impressed with them is rather than trying to create this large ballooning strategic partnership with a publicly traded company, instead, they really took the path of becoming thought leaders in this industry. They got themselves in the mix of Liberty Mutual and Nissan and Argo AI. And as part of this development team around UL 4600, which is all around autonomous vehicle safety protocols, right? It's inherently unsexy. You're talking about ML that's basically doing actuary work for insurance companies, right? But it is the fundamental linchpin of how we're going to get cars onto the road, right? Autonomous vehicles onto the road. And and without that safety mechanism that allows for those vehicles to be insured, whoever owns them, whether it's an individual or, or a fleet, you're going to need something. So then an organization like that who said, listen, I want to be part of that thought leadership group. I want to help you draft this UL 4600. It's given them the seat at, at the table with 20, 30 potential larger strategic partners that they can grow over the years to come. But they don't get a chance to have that conversation with them without being part of that thought leadership group on the onset. Wow, that is a really great example. And I love that you brought it back to how a well thought out marketing program can help with that 
strategic market development and attracting the right strategics to your company rather than just the shotgun approach of, hey, here's our hardware. Who's the right strategic to invest in us? Yeah, that's right. Because you're going to have, you know, inevitably you're going to have people saying, who's this company, this small company? Why should we be messing with them? For someone to say, oh, they were part of the thought leadership team who helped us develop this UL listing and they really seem to be industry experts here. We should really hear what they have to say about this. Boy, you know, that's that's your inside sales track right there. Well, Josh, let's back it out as we round third base here and think a bit more around the rest of 2021. You know, we're just barely getting our feet wet here, second month of the year. But in the conversations you and I've had, uh, you know, it seems that in particular, the work that you're doing and what you're seeing in the venture capital side, strategic partnerships is this is the year for it, 2021. So I'd love to hear your prognostication on trends for the year, what folks should expect This is perhaps a longer winded version of our crystal ball question I typically ask, but I'm just genuinely interested in your insights into what folks should be looking, what corners we're looking around and what you expect to see. Yeah, certainly we could go on and on about this, uh, Nico, (laughs) but you know, if I distilled this down to kind of one, two, three kind of top things, I believe that 2021, we're going to see a whole new slew of cross-cutting strategic partnerships that are really going to define solar's upwards compound annual growth rate. Shell and BP, for example, have put a lot of capital and attention behind their venture capital and private equity divisions. They're really investing heavily in early stage companies so that they can get first look at specific technologies that are kind of that would help benefit their core business. I think that we're going to see an acceleration of that. I think we're going to see more and more old energy companies coming into new energy companies. For example, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of oil and gas midstream operators get into the solar construction and installation space. I think that there's a whole opportunity for insurance companies to be vertically wrapping insurance programs that they're that that they've maybe uh, never conceived before under all of the hardware at a utility scale deployment. So I think that that old energy and new energy mix is really going to, we're really going to start seeing that collide this year as people could try to grab market share. The second major one is, I think it's undoubtable in my mind's eye that this is going to be the year for energy storage adoption, whether that's going to be on the lithium ion side, vanadium flow, there's, there's a variety of solutions out there, but we're really going to see, you know, the, the curtailment of the duck curve is not going to be tolerable very much longer. Right. And I'd say that there's already people kind of screaming and kicking the wall that why are we still producing energy that's going to be clipped. So I think that the incorporation of energy storage is going to be a huge story. And I wouldn't be surprised if Q4 of 2021 is a mammoth, maybe even an order magnitude jump in energy storage sales globally. Well, as my uh, uh, my personal, uh, I'll call it phantom stock trader, James Altucher says, frequently in the last couple of years, invest in chemistry, invest in chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The, I think that the other market trend that we're really going to see for solar in particular is going to be around the project financing and funding models. Traditionally, we've seen a lot of big funds and we've seen a lot of high net worth individuals come into the space to the tune of billions of dollars, for example, in 2019 came from just high net worth individuals who were looking to take advantage of the ITC and get capital gains mitigation. What we've seen is at the utility scale in particular that the internal rate of return of those long kind of 2025 year PPA projects has really made it difficult for high net worth individuals to get anything above an 8% return. 
So then they're really looking at this from a perspective of they're looking for kind of market equivalents, um, something where they can get one or two points of alpha off of the S&P or the NASDAQ or something like that, or whatever their strategy is. The interesting thing is that because of COVID, there's a lot of people registering financial losses this year, which means that there hasn't been, there's not that capital gains appetite at the moment. Now, I was watching this really carefully over the last six months thinking, oh man, are we going to see a lot of these projects kind of dead on arrival because they've lost financing because no one has the tax appetite this year. The interesting thing and incredibly encouraging to me is that, yeah, we saw a huge pullback in the dollars deployed by high net worth, but that was immediately, almost instantaneously replaced by large pension funds, police, fire, Uh teachers, state level stuff, who are very, very happy with replacing their high yield municipal bond portfolio where they might be investing in Flint, Michigan or or Puerto Rico at 6% return at a fairly high risk. They're very happy to say, hey, I'll take 65 or 7% return and put that into a 25-year PPA. That sounds great to me. So then the risk threshold has changed in terms of the vesting subset. I think that that's actually going to make for an even higher escalation of growth because now that it's validated, I mean, there's nothing more secure of an investment when a pension fund comes in and says, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to invest all of these teachers. You've got to deliver on that. So then I think that they've validated that solar is becoming increasingly de-risked. And that means that there's going to be a fresh pot of money that we can continue to draw in for the next kind of three to five year cycle. Well, Josh, invariably, we take a number of rabbit holes of our own in these conversations that leave me wanting to pull a few more threads. The trends that you've just highlighted for me are in themselves potential episodes. So uh, congratulations on self-preservation in the Suncast canon. Uh, I'm sure I'll uh, have to have you back here pretty soon. (laughs) Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Well, for those who no doubt have their appetite whetted and want to follow up and maybe dig in on one or two things that you've mentioned here. Uh, Maybe they want to learn more about your investment thesis or even about what SPI, Solar Power International, is into and and how they can take advantage of that. How could they find you? Where's the best place to look for Josh Beck? Yeah, they can visit uh, our website at bci-ti.com. You can also email me at josh.beck at bci-ti.com. How about this, Nico? How about we throw together a little kind of a bullet point for you to throw up uh, for your listeners uh, as a as a little bit of a crib sheet that they could always uh, use to draft their own questions and, and chart their own strategic path this year? Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, that sounds good. We'll, uh, we'll link to that in the show notes, as we always do. Little template for those of you who are trying to work through your own equation of how, when, and why to bring in a strategic partner, it sounds. Yeah, that's right. Well, Josh, thanks for that. If you are going to be looking for that takeaway, be sure to listen to the outro in just a moment, and I'll leave you with the link. Josh Beck, it's always a pleasure having you here on Suncast. I'm smarter. The Solar Warriors are smarter. Thank you, and happy Groundhog Day. Thank you, Nico. Happy Groundhog Day, and uh, wishing everyone a very happy and productive and healthy 2021. All right, Solar Warrior, my mind is stuffed. And as my favorite late night host, Trevor Noah, would say, if you didn't know, now you know. Thanks, Josh, once again, for always dropping so much value for the Suncast tribe. I actually learned a lot about strategic partnerships in that conversation. And Josh and I hope this conversation has better equipped you to think and talk about strategic partnerships with greater dexterity and also to put them in use in your business. What are you working on right now that could use this kind of strategic thinking? 
Would you like to have a conversation with me or maybe with Josh to sharpen the idea or maybe even help connecting the dots? If so, please do take a moment and jump over to mysuncast.com and click on that work with Nico button, or you could simply email me at nico at mysuncast.com. Let's have a brief clarity call. I absolutely love chatting with growth-oriented climate champions like you and will gladly carve out 15 minutes to hear your story. Well, if all you really want is that cheat sheet that Josh and I plugged, you could find that linked in the show notes of this episode. We're also sharing it out on LinkedIn and Twitter and you can find the resources and highlights from this and all other discussions on Suncast, as well as social media links and so much more over on the show notes page at mysuncast.com. Well, next up this Thursday is Suncast legend, Mr. Andy Klump, the reigning champion of most downloaded Suncast episodes, back for his second appearance on the show to defend his title. Andy and I are friends, and I get to ask him questions that maybe even he doesn't always think he wants to answer. We go deep on how he's built a thriving business and life as an entrepreneur focused on serving the solar and storage industry. So I hope that you will see your way back to Suncast this Thursday for that episode. One last thing, if you'd like to learn how you can partner with Suncast to consistently reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, then check out the sponsor page over on the website. That page again is www.mysuncast.com. Remember, you are what you listen to, So thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.